0: The thing about being a parent and a comedian, though, is sometimes you have to know when to switch from a parent to a comedian. And I'm still learning that, that lesson. Uh, but I'm scared for one of my kids to go, what if we get a really bad argument, and one of them says something to me horrible. What if one of them calls me something like an MF? Do I call talk about it like a parent, or does my comedic brain kick in and say, well, I might be an MF, but remember, it's your M that I F. <laughs> Yes, we did it. That was a sound clip from the show I was part of on Friday night, July 10th. Our last episode, I interviewed Jonathan Flanagan. He was the headliner of that show. Friday night was a great show. Great turnout. Amazing crowd. A much, much needed night, especially with everything going on with this pandemic. It's like having a mosquito bite you can't scratch. And then all of a sudden you give in and you go scratch that itch and nothing feels better. The next night, uh, on the 11th, we did another show, Uh, less less good, still good to get behind the microphone. Very impressed with Jonathan Flanagan though. He handled both shows, he's an absolute pro. If you ever get the chance to see him perform, amazing comedian and I appreciate John coming to St. George, Utah to, to bring us some much, much needed laughs as we go. I'm flying solo on today's episode. Whether that's good or bad, you decide that. But uh, on today's episode, we'll talk a little bit more about the contrast between a good show and a bad show on back-to-back nights. And then I'm going to kind of take you through a history of my stand-up comedy journey that I've been on this far and where I'm trying to go with it personally. I can't speak for anyone, for everyone's journey, but I can at least tell you what I've learned along the way and, and maybe you can take something from it, maybe not, who knows. Hopefully you'll just enjoy and I'll, I'll play some clips from you from, from back when I was first starting out and some clips that are a little more recent and polished and I'll even play you a clip of the sound, what it sounds like to Bob. Anyways, thanks for joining the Dramatic Comedy Podcast, welcome back, uh, let's get into it. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dramatic Comedy Podcast. My name is Chase. I host this podcast. This podcast uh, is called Dramatic Comedy for, for a reason, and that is uh, I firmly believe that the best way to overcome any trials, if you want to call it drama, if you want to call it just hard times, as soon as you can laugh about something, that's when the healing process does begin and so this podcast is a way of talking about the ways drama has been overcome with laughter through my life and through other people's lives and other episodes are more just maybe we can give you something funny to, to listen to and that can give you a break from your own drama whether it's the rigors of everyday life you need a break from your stressful job whatever it is this is your home to hopefully find some sort of comedic release and and maybe we can offer you something of value. Maybe not. If nothing else, we can just distract you for for 30 minutes at a time or so. So, uh, there was a comedy show. First time I had been able to touch a microphone in 160 days. I was a little nervous. There was going to be some rust to shake off and there for sure was. But nonetheless, uh, it felt great to get on stage and perform again. Uh, Friday night went very well. Friday night the crowd was the, the crowd was about as full as you could hope to fill in, in these kind of times where you sell limited tickets. The theater holds somewhere around in between 220-250 seats, something like that. And I think we got 75 to 80 people in there. It was it was a good night. The crowd was hungry to laugh and, and that definitely helped. Val did a good job at marketing the show and there were uh, several performers. We had a couple people who was our first time performing stand up ever. We had another guy who was a sketch comic, and he's done sketch comedy before. He went up on stage for a little bit. But when it comes down to stand up, I mean, I've been I've been doing this on and off. You know, my first time touching an open mic was seven years ago. Jonathan Flanagan, he is much more seasoned than I am, even though we started around the same time. He's been more persistent, more consistent with his craft and and dedicated to his craft than I have been, but it showed. And and he gave this crowd a much-needed ability to laugh. He was a pro. He did great. I would love to to work with him again down the line. So, John, if by some reason you're listening to this, St. George really, really appreciated you for sure. Now, let's talk about the next night. The next night, little little bit less tickets sold. However, the people who were in attendance, they weren't as laughable. They didn't laugh as much, and then they did, it wasn't as hard. And so, honestly, it felt like we all bombed. And that happens, and some, and, and for. For better or worse, a lot of times, you know, that's what bombing is. Sometimes it's your jokes just aren't landing because the crowd just isn't there. I try never to blame a crowd, and on Saturday night, let's go 50-50. I got rattled early on because uh, there was something that was distracting me, and there was some loud people in the front row. I, there was some whistles, and I never was really able to recover mentally from that. But... Uh, on the same token, I notice something when I perform. If I'm not nervous before I go on stage, it's not going to go well. Saturday or Friday night went so well, and I was nervous because I was doing new material. was the first time I had been on stage since January, and I got what you would want to call this rookie arrogance in me. I call it rookie because it's a common thing. You, you do good on one show. You think you've figured out you're just going to destroy. And then you go on with what turns into false confidence and it doesn't go well. That's exactly what happened to me Saturday night. I've been doing this seven years. That still happens. And so it's tough to, to kind of change your mindset to, to get humble on something like that. So knowing my head already wasn't in the right place, going into a, a crowd that was quiet Uh, going into a crowd that had some hecklers. It just, it was a recipe for disaster. Now, it wasn't as personal to me. No one really got a big laugh. Jonathan Flanagan got the biggest laughs of the night, which, as the headliner, he should. And I realized that there's a difference between doing comedy and being a comedian. Okay, In some respects of the word, I am a comedian, but mostly I just tell people, yes, I do stand-up comedy. Jonathan Flanagan is a stand-up comedian, and here's the difference. For the five, six minutes I was up on stage on Saturday night, I was so uncomfortable, and I think the audience could tell that I wasn't confident, I wasn't comfortable with anything that was going, and I was rattled, and I think it showed. I got some chuckles and laughs, but I think it showed, and so because I wasn't comfortable, they weren't. Jonathan Flanagan went up there for 45 minutes, and it didn't matter. He took heckles, he took science, and he just pounded through his whole thing the same energy he did the night before, and it was awesome. My problem is I let the audience on Saturday night dictate my energy and presence on stage, and that ruins the whole thing. And that's a lesson you think I would only have to learn once. I learn it a couple times every year. I'm going to play you... uh, a joke I did from Friday night and you can feel the energy from the crowd you can hear them reacting and then I'm going to play you the same bit for the next night for a different crowd and just how bad it was so let's listen to the first one I'm going to tell it again I got kicked out of a doTERRA sales meeting for the doTERRA essential oils I'm not making fun of the product let me just be clear I'm making fun of how this situation was presented The woman doing the sales pitch told us that her husband used to struggle with low testosterone, and then she rubbed some oil on him, and he was fine. Does everyone understand what I just said? She said, any questions? Yeah, I got one. I rose my hand and I asked, what oil do you use if that oil lasts for more than four hours? Because clearly what she's missing is that, to men, any oil can be essential. <laughs> I, uh, she told me that if I couldn't take it seriously, I needed to leave. So I got up, took my free samples, went home and boosted my testosterone. <laughs> That's a bit I love doing. That's a bit that I just started doing at the beginning of this year with other shows. And the crowd usually reacts. It's a pretty solid... That generally can get anywhere from five to seven laughs in a matter of 60 seconds. And I love doing it. Okay. And as you can hear right there, it went fine. It went absolutely fine on that first go around Friday night. And then you can hear the crowd was engaging with me. It was great. And it worked fantastically. Well, Let's go to less than 24 hours later to when I did that exact same joke for a new crowd. But I was on the same stage doing the same joke almost verbatim with the same words and you'll hear the difference between the first recording you heard i had a good high energy because there was a good high energy in the crowd this next one the crowd was kind of lower energy quieter so i'm delivering it much quieter and listen to the difference in the response i get on the second go around that as well i went to uh, doTERRA essential oils sales pitch and i got kicked out of the meeting for a single comment that i made Uh, The lady doing the sales pitch said that her husband used to struggle with low testosterone and then she rubbed some oil on him and he was fine. (laughs) Does everyone understand what I just said? So when she was like, any questions? Yep. Because what she's not understanding is that to men, any oil can be essential. (laughs) So I rose my hand and I asked her, What oil do you use if that oil lasts for more than four hours? She told me if I couldn't take it seriously, I needed to leave. So I got up, took my free samples, went home and boosted my testosterone. Brutal. And it's that's all I can describe. It's brutal again just cause the crowd has a low energy maybe has a different way of laughing than what happened on Friday night. It's still up to me to bring the funny, to bring the funny energy, to bring what's natural to me, to bring, to, to change the energy. The crowd should be dictating the performer's energy or excuse me. The performer should be dictating the crowd's energy. They should, the crowd should be following the energy of the performer not the other way around, and that's my mistake. I let them totally dictate my mood and and how things were going on stage. You might call that a rookie mistake, but really, when it comes to stand up, if stand up was like a, the life of a human being, okay, you've got the professionals: Bill Burr, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan. These guys have been doing stand up for thirty plus years. Those are seasoned veterans. I am just barely learning to not have to crawl. Where I'm at in my comedic journey, honestly, some people have been doing it for my age, You know, they can get up and, and they can walk. I'm just barely learning how to walk. The first couple open mice you go to, you're learning how to crawl. I'm barely just at the walking pace. Sometimes I walk kind of faster but eventually I trip and I fall this is all part of part of the game comedy is a brutal brutal sport now I kind of want to take you through my journey when it comes to to stand up and what I've gone through to get to the point where I'm at and my journey is my journey I don't compare it to anyone else's like I said the headliner from from the shows last weekend, Jonathan. He's been doing about the same time I has, I have. He's dedicated a lot more time and effort into his craft, and he's much more seasoned in it than I am. Uh, but that's okay. There's we have different life paths, and and it took me a while in the beginning to get comfortable to to go consistently. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Okay. The very first time I ever even attempted stand-up was in June of 2013. I told this story when I talked to Jonathan, but I had recently just seen a comedian named Daniel Tosh, and Daniel Tosh does some shocking things on stage, and I tried to go up at this open mic. It was at this place called Lumpy South in Sandy, Utah. It's this little bar, and it had this little performing room in the back corner I went up on stage thinking, well, I'm going to go be Daniel Tosh. I'm going to go be the character that I just saw two weeks ago. And I said some shocking, horrible things, and it turned out it was just offensive. And a couple things a lot of people don't realize. Your first time performing at a stage that has the spotlight, you don't realize how bright that spotlight is. As soon as that spotlight hit me, I forgot everything that I had thought I was going to say. And so when I was performing, I ended up sounding like a dick. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just a fan of stand-up. It's maybe not something I should be a part of. Well, let's fast forward the clock. So that was in June of 2013. In March of 2014, I started to get the itch. I knew I wanted to try again. I knew I was better than that first experience that happened. So I had this thought in my head that when I would tell people at work or in casual conversations, it always made them laugh. And I thought, well, maybe if I said this joke on stage, perhaps it would work fine. The joke, if you've ever seen me perform, it's it's a, it's a common joke that I tell. And it's about when I... That the fact that the with my stepmom being Chilean, my stepbrother being Chilean, my brother-in-law being Vietnamese, my uh, two Vietnamese nephews... I talked about, and my little sister being adopted from Thailand, I talked about how I ended up becoming the minority in my own family. And when I went up, it went great. I went up, I got an applause break. This is my first time. This was at the Wise Guys Comedy Club in West Valley City. It's no longer there. They, they moved that club to downtown Salt Lake. But I went on this Wednesday night. I didn't tell a single person I was going. I went in secret, and it went fine. And the hook was set right there. I heard the laugh. I heard the applause. I got off. The, the host that night was Jay Whitaker. He pulled me in close, and he asked if that was my first time. I told him technically it was my second, but it was my first time getting a laugh. He laughed. He got up on stage, and there was a big applause, and I thought, well, I want to do that again. Now, one thing you should understand about the Wise Guys open mics, you get anywhere from two to three minutes, and that's it. You've got to be funny, and you've got to be funny fast. So I went again a couple weeks later, did the same material, and it worked even better this time because I did it in a different way with a lot more confidence, and I thought, well, this is pretty good. And then I went a third time to a place called Moe's Diner. They were doing this open mic on a Moe's Diner, and it bombed. I bombed again. It was that same sinking feeling that I had the first time I had done comedy the year before where no one laughed, and it was quiet, and I thought, well, maybe I'm just supposed to be a fan, and this isn't for me. So by this time, it's probably May of 2014. I didn't go back again until June of 2015, and I did that same bit about being the minority in my own family a year later. And listen to how it went. All right, okay, never mind. All right. Let's see. I'm going to bring up, coming next to the stage, give it up for Chase McPhee. Uh, It's been a while since I've done this. Uh, Typically, I like to joke about my family because My family life's a little bit more funny than any of the jokes I actually tell. Um, The fact that two people just laughed at that proves my point, I think. Um, But my family's a little different. You see, my stepmom's from Chile, my stepbrother's from Chile, my brother-in-law's from Vietnam, and my two Vietnamese nephews, and my little sister's adopted from Thailand. That makes me the minority in my own family. He's kind of messed up. Being called Uncle Cracker every Christmas. (laughs) My family picture looks like a bag of trail mix. I'm a marshmallow. (laughs) Anytime I start dating a white girl, my dad wants to know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) We're trying to complete a diversity circle. I think my only two options is to date a black chick or be gay. (laughs) (laughs) Ideally, I would just date a black guy. We would all date a black guy <laughs> <laughs> My dad tells me to be careful with his jokes He doesn't want me to sound like any kind of racist and I was like, Dad, have you seen our family? I every kind of racist <laughs> <laughs> Then I have to remind him, he used to ride the bus in the 60s as a white guy, that is way more racist than anything <laughs> <laughs> so. so. Keeping it in short and sweet, thanks guys thanks. <laughs> So, it went pretty well. By the way, the host of that show again was Jay Whitaker, who was hosting the first night I went to Wise Guys, and it was a success. When I got that big laugh, that go-around, even though it had been you know, a year since I had been on stage, that gave me a lot of confidence. And I thought, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to go out there and kill. I know how to, I, I, I could probably do this. Now, keep in mind, that clip you just heard was two minutes. I was on stage for barely two minutes. And it took courage to do that. And it, you know, two minutes is not a long time. But when you're on stage, it can feel like an eternity, especially starting out. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write a whole new set of new jokes and I'm going to come back here next week and I'm going to destroy. Well, I didn't go back the next week. In fact, I went back like a month later with brand new jokes. I was going to try them and I invited a bunch of friends this time and as I got up on stage, not one laugh. Dead silence and it was debilitating and it sucked I mean it really really sucked and here I am again it's June of 2015 and I'm thinking I really want to do this I really feel like I can but I bombed again maybe I'm not supposed to do this and I thought well I at least have audio clips and I can tell people I am a comedian if they need proof I can play this and and this will just be it. By the way, that's also a first time thing. Just because you do a couple open mics or you've done this a few times doesn't make you a comedian. Again, I've been doing this for seven years. I hesitate to call myself a stand-up comedian. I just say I do comedy. So. June of 2015, I go up, bomb, and I say to myself, it's going to be a while before I ever try this again. And then come September, I start getting the itch. But I don't do anything about it because I'm still scared about bombing. And then the months go on, and I keep wanting to go try these new ideas I have out. And then finally, January of 16 hits. The last Wednesday of January 2016. I say, heck with it, I'm going, I need to find out if I'm going to bomb or not. So, by this time, the Wise Guys location has changed. It's now downtown Salt Lake. And I gird up my courage, I go down there, and the list was full. Missed the sign-ups. They only let like 30 people sign up, and then they, they, they cut it off. And I thought, well, that's dumb. So... The following Tuesday, I went to this place that was going to be having a comedy open mic. It was this little bar and holiday called like the Purple Onion or something. Not Purple Onion. That's in San Francisco. Some, some, some other thing there. And there's a comedian there named Guy Sedel. If you're familiar with anything to do with the Utah comedy scene, you know who Guy Sidel is. He won the funniest comic in Utah a few times. He now does his show with Marcus Hardy, who was from Last Comic Standing. They have a comedy music show. It's hilarious. I was talking to Guy about, you know, my past experiences with doing good than bombing, and doing good with bombing. He told me to just have fun and um, avoid the the politics and comedy and just enjoy it. Uh, I also ran into another comedian named Andy Gold. Andy Gold is an amazing comedian who I've since opened for. He gave me the best advice anyone has ever given me when it comes to comedy. I said, what's, what's the best advice I can have to be successful at this? He said, write, get on stage, repeat. You write, get on stage, repeat. And so I decided wherever or whenever I could... I was going to be at any open mic I could. So the first Wednesday in February of 2016, I went down to Wise Guys to make sure I got there early enough, got my name on the list, they called me up, and it went fine. I had a list of new jokes, like three new bits I did in two minutes, it went fine, and I decided I was going to keep going wherever I could. So for the next several months, I was going to open mics on uh, Monday nights up at the University of Utah. Tuesday nights at a place called the Watchtower Cafe. Wednesday nights, I would go to a place to, to the Wise Guys Comedy Club and then to a little coffee shop called Mestizo's, do two sets. Uh, Tuesdays, I would also do you know, Watchtower and Sandy Station. So two sets Tuesday night, two sets Wednesday night, and then Saturday, go back to Sandy Station, do another open mic, and Sunday nights, go to the Greenhouse and do an open mic so you add that up it's about five or six times a week I was doing stand-up comedy at open mics and what happened is the bits I had were starting to get better because they were becoming more polished and I was gaining a little more confidence on the stage but then I would still have these moments where I would bomb and I'd go on stage for three minutes and it was just crickets And my confidence still wasn't there. It was just this, like, thing I kept trying to do, but never didn't really know if I could still do it. then I came up with this joke. It's a joke I've done often. If you're familiar enough with me, you know it as the Spice Girls joke. The premise of this joke is I have a buddy who got married to a girl who was very young. Uh, He was 30. He was my age. And the girl he married had just barely turned 19. And I came up with this bit. And the big thing was using the Spice Girl's own lyric, song lyrics to to make my point that if she's too young to tell you what she wants, what she really, really wants, she's too young to get married. The first time I did that bit, the room exploded. An applause break. And I heard the the MC of the night, who happened to be the owner of the the comedy club, Keith Stubbs, he says, you know, this was Chase McPhee. He was soft in the beginning, but he closed like a monster. I heard those words. I heard the roar of the crowd, and I thought, I can do this. Like, that's the first big, huge laugh I got. And so I went back the next week, and I did that same bit, and it still worked, but not as well. And then I thought, well, I'm going to take a break from that bit for a while, and I went back probably three or four weeks later with it polished, and I thought, this is how I'm going to do the bit. I'm going to open up with a new bit that i would never tried before, and then I'm going to close with the Spice Girls bit, and it's going to hopefully destroy. And I have this audio for you right now of, of how that set went. Again, keep in mind, these, these sets are less than three minutes long. So on this recording, you'll hear me that I opened with a new bit I thought would be funny. It's not very funny at all. And then I close with the Spice Girls bit, and listen to the reaction I get. Chase McFee and my Chase Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name's Chase, like he said. Uh, I work for a financial institution, and I see people coming in all the time applying for loans for all sorts of things like auto loans, home loans. One loan I didn't know existed was you can actually take a loan out to help in the process of adoption. Now, that's a little bit different. It's not like a car loan. If you get a car loan and you don't pay your bills, they can come rebuild a car. <laughs> You can't do that with a kid. And I think you should have the right to use your kid as collateral. I think if you take an adoptional amount and you don't pay your bills, we have the right as the lender to send a year-week model of that child to a collection agency, and they can send Big Mike over to collect on the 2014 Asian female. All right, it was a little dark to start this one. One of my friends, uh, he's 30 years old, and he just got engaged a little while uh, back to a girl who's um, almost 19. So little, I'm, I'm fine with the age he got. It's the fact that she was in high school like a matter of months ago that is a little concerning to me. He told me that they met all night, and I was like, well, of course he did. How else does someone your age get a girl born in 1997? <laughs> yeah, I bet the first question he ever had to ask her was, are you a cop, LOL? Because he's a predator. 1997 wasn't that long ago. The top selling bands in 1997 were Boys and Men and the Spice Girls. Who remembers the Spice Girls? Because she doesn't. (laughs) That should be her first indicator right there. But she's too young to tell you what she wants, what she really, really wants. She's too young to get married. And I can make fun of her because she's not old enough to be here either. You guys have been great the name is Chase. Thanks Thanks for right right there. again, I felt like I could do this. This is something I could do. You could hear the confidence starting to come into my bits and keep in mind i 'm still doing comedy six times a week wherever I can touch a microphone. I did comedy at a luau in the middle of a park once. Did it go well? No, but it didn't matter i I had learned that every time I was bombing, I was learning how to be tough and be okay when I when I do bomb. Because bombing's a part of comedy. Even seven years later, as you heard before, I bombed, you know, two nights ago at the electric comedy show. And I'm gonna bomb again and it's okay. I'll start to get stronger. I think about any time I've bombed, how much better it's made me as a comedian. When I got off stage on Saturday night, I wasn't discouraged. I no longer have those thoughts of, maybe this isn't for me. It's like, oh no, I need to get a microphone fast in a crowd. I need to wash this taste out of my mouth. And I hope that doesn't happen again. It never occurs to you to quit. And because it never occurs to you to, to, to quit, you get better and smaller things stop rattling you. For the most part. I still get rattled, clearly. Like I got You know, there's some noise in the audience, and I got heckled the other night, and it it rattled me. But on occasion, I've had people boo the first joke I've ever told in a set, and I was able to turn it back on them, and then I had a great say. In fact, I think I, yeah, I have that recording right here. This was a show I did in January. First joke I said coming out on stage, some guy decides he's going to boo me. And this is how I handled it. St. George, Tucson's sober nephew. Here we go. Boo! Boo! Are you from Tucson? It's called Tuscan. Okay, so you're not from Tucson? Okay, got it. Three seconds in, I'm getting heckled. This is going to be great. You know sometimes when the kids just won't be quiet and you just want them to be quiet? That's you, sir. (laughs) If it wasn't for every single time that I had bombed or the other hundreds of times I'd got on stage, getting booed can be really discouraging. But there's this calmness that comes over you and, and you realize you're in a situation you know and you learn how to handle it and deal with it. And I'm going to get heckled again someday. And I'm going to bomb again someday. And when that happens, I'll build off of those experiences. So why do I, why, why do I tell you all this? Why is this relevant? Well, when you find something in life you're really passionate about or you really want to do it, you find out how much you really want to do it, when you have a bad experience doing that thing and then you realize you still want to do it. There's the old adage of someone always wants to be a boxer until they get hit. You think about a fighter, a boxer, or someone who does UFC, they deal with getting punched and kicked a lot. And they keep fighting back because it's what they love. They know it's part of the territory. You think about um, a salesman no one ever has this 100% sales rate. They know they're going to be rejected, and then they learn how to overcome those rejections. You think about basketball players. Think about Michael Jordan. Was cut from his high school team, went back every day until he proved his coach wrong. He had adversity. Whatever it is you do in life, whether you are a businessman or a sports guy, you're going to have... A lot of feedback. You're going to have times where you quote unquote bomb. And that's when you find out. How much you really want to do something. Life in general. Is going to bomb you. You know if you've listened to the podcast. My mom died when I was 16. That's a bomb. You also know if you've listened to previous episodes in this podcast. I ended up living in my car for a year and a half. That's a bomb. You know. You know. That, you you know, things happen in your life, tragic things happen, and life, in a sense, is going to be a bombing moment on stage. How do you combat that? As I've said before, you find a way to laugh at it. Because once you start laughing at something, it's no longer painful. And then you find out what you really love. I've bombed on stage more times than I can count. And I'm going to bomb again. You're going to bomb again. Whatever it is you do, you're going to have times where you mess up. So what? If it's something you love, you keep going back again and again and again until bombing no longer scares you, until you're no longer scared to fail. And that's what laughter provides. That's why I I do this. What I learned, you know, what, what I know... Doing comedy is not something I can learn in a classroom i could I could watch all the YouTube clips in the world or 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 listen to seminars about how to write jokes and how to be when you perform things only work well when you find your honest self and apply it to whatever it is you're doing i didn't I, I, I go out on stage and some people tell me I make it look easy well. It's easy because you've missed all the hard work I've put into it. I might only have 40 minutes worth of material after 7 years, but I've scratched for every bit of that. You see the good success part? All the mistakes are buried under it. It's the same thing with anything else in life. My favorite quote is, anything successful is a series of mistakes. That's as true in comedy as, as anything else is in life. Anyways... I'm going to wrap up this soapbox of an episode. I just had these thoughts and I wanted to share it. Thank you everyone for listening Uh, to close up this uh, episode. uh, I'm going to play one more bit for you guys. Um, One more bit from the show I did on... I was going to do one from the most recent show, but I'm going to play another bit for you. I'm going to close this episode out Uh, During the outro music, enjoy one of the bits that I've come up with over the years. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Recently, I saw two missionaries walking down the street and I went to approach them because I felt like I needed to ask them how long they've been out and where they are from, because that's what you do. And as I got closer, I realized that they weren't missionaries. They were just successful.